means by which the good news of Jesus Christ is made known to the people around us on what we call our front lines, the places we spend our time day in, day out. And we've been looking at some do's and some don'ts. What are the things that we need to work hard at? What are the things we need to seek to avoid in the power of God's Spirit that we might be a means of reflecting the glory of God to people around us, of making a difference where we are today? We turn to the tongue. So let's pray together. It's the first time I've been cold in church. Are you all all right? You're cold, aren't you? Is it possible just to shut that one? Because I can see some people down the front here shivering. And uh, we're just going to... It's normally so hot. It was our way of stopping Paul Curry falling asleep because he told me that's what he was going to do this evening. So uh, that's our way of keeping you awake, Paul. Are you ready? Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your word. And having seen those things, we pray that you would soften our hearts and motivate our wills, that we might live in humble obedience to all that we read here. In the power of the Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hopefully, on the next slide, Andy, there'll be the passage that uh, we have. Pardon? It won't move anymore. I wonder if you've ever heard of Mazuru Emoto. Anyone heard of Mazuru Emoto? He was a Japanese author, researcher, photographer, and entrepreneur who died in 2014. And the things he became famous for were some kind of quasi-scientific experiments. He famously took three jars, and in each he put some rice and then covered them with water. And then every day for a month, he would, uh, Dr. Emoto would go up to each jar and say some words. To the first jar, he would say, thank you, every day for a month. To the second jar, he would say, you're an idiot, every day for a month. To the third jar, he would say, nothing at all, just ignore it, every day for a month. Then at the end of the month, he examined the contents of the jars. In, its, in the first jar, to which he had said, thank you, the rice was beautifully fermenting and had a very pleasant aroma. In the second jar, to which he had said, you're an idiot, the rice had turned black. And in the third jar, which he had just ignored, the rice had begun to rot. Now, in his mind, it proved the power of human words, particularly for him to connect with and influence water. That was all his experiments related to that. Now, he's faced a lot of criticism and ridicule over the years. Go around YouTube, you'll find lots of videos all about him. But what if those three jars were three people you knew? What if those jars were three people you knew? What if you did the same thing as Emoto every day for one month? So one person you knew, every day you said thank you, or something really positive. But then to the second person, every day you said, you're an idiot. And to the third person, every day, you simply ignored them, turned your back on them. Imagine I did that with three members of my staff team. What would my staff team look like in one month's time? 
I can guarantee you that one would be deeply crushed and would already have handed in their notice. One would be deeply hurt, feeling isolated, insecure, almost certainly in tears, asking to speak to a church warden because a vicar has refused to acknowledge them for a month and will be saying, I can't work like this. But a third member of that team, my guess, will be thriving. Their self-esteem would be through the roof. They'd be hopefully enjoying their work, fulfilled, feeling affirmed, loving coming to work each day. All because of just a few little words that we might say. My guess is if I did that experiment, we'd see even more dramatic results than Dr. Emoto, and you would not be able to argue with them. Why? Because of the extraordinary power of our words. James Blunt, and I'm not going to sing it, but he's saying, your mouth is a revolver firing bullets in the sky. In fact, Gary Chapman, in his book, Love is a Way of Life, described words as either being bullets or seeds. Our words are capable of mortally wounding or life-giving. Our words can do both. And James wants us to become deeply aware of the crucial central place of words in Christian discipleship and Christian witness. We probably reflect the glory of God more through our words than in any other way. Or we detract from the glory of God through our words, probably more than any other way in our lives. How we speak on our front lines in this church, and it, it will matter enormously just as the way we speak in this church to one another matters enormously. Now, James is going to focus on our tongues. The tongue, of course, is symbolic of words we say, but I wonder if he were writing his letter now, he might uh, add another bit of symbolism. I think he might possibly mention the tongue and the thumb. The tongue and the thumb. Why? How many of you have got one of these? Some electronic device. Okay, we don't speak, but our little thumbs come out. And we fire away a text, a tweet, a WhatsApp, a Snapchat, an email, whatever it is. Digital communication today probably is even more important sometimes than the words that we say, because many of us probably speak digitally to others more than we speak verbally to others. What we do with our little thumb is just the same as what we do with our tongue. There are great dangers of words, I think, probably digitally more than verbally. Because digitally, when we speak to people, we kind of excuse stuff that we would never, ever say to someone's face. It's also liable to confusion or misconstruction, being misconstrued. How many of you have ever sent an email and really, really regretted it? Just three of us. <laughs> Put your hand up if you've ever sent an email or a, or a message and you... Yeah. I have got in serious trouble. I have hurt people in this church because of emails I've sent. I've got myself in big trouble with a bishop once because of an email I sent. I was angry, and I just banged it out, and off it went, with all the anger that I felt. And boy, did it cause trouble. So I want to, if uh, James won't mind, say to you tonight, it's not just the tongue, but the thumb. 
or whatever it is you use to type out your digital messages. And I want to say three things I think that James says about the tongue. The first is this, the disproportionate power of the human tongue. Our words, our speech, our tweets, Snapchats, WhatsApps, emails have a power way out of proportion to the source of that speech, tongues and thumbs. James uses two powerful images. He uses the bit of a horse. He talks about this horse as this powerful beast, and yet just a small piece of metal enables that horse to be turned to the left or the right. Or the rudder of a ship, some vast ship. Actually, in Paul's day, uh, when Paul was writing, he told us about one ship he went on. Do you remember that, when he got shipwrecked? He told us there were 276 passengers on it. It was a big ship. Yeah, how was that ship moved around? By the tiniest of rudders. We'll turn it to the left or the right in the midst of great storms. So it is with the tongue, says James. Verse 5. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Or as J.B. Phillips helpfully paraphrases it, the human tongue is physically small, but tremendous effects it can boast of. I've been watching a lot of uh, American news. I'm just a bit hooked on it. I'm kind of watching what's going on over there. And if you want to know the power of words, just watch the tweets that President Trump sends out. Three tweets, one Saturday morning, six o'clock in the morning, and all hell breaks loose. Obama blamed for uh, tapping Trump Tower. 140 letters, characters or less. And people are listening in and wondering what effect it's going to have on foreign policy, on home policy, on all sorts of things. Just a few characters sent out early in the morning. Suddenly the whole world is trying to work out what is going on. Words have massive power, power for good and power for evil. Think of two words, thank you. I once served under a bishop who told me that I should never, ever thank anyone in my church. I was told by a bishop never to thank anyone in my church. He said, people in churches serve God and are not doing it to be thanked by us. Their thanks should come from what happens with God. And I just thought to myself, as much as I know I must respect my bishop, this bishop has no idea of the power of words, of how important two words, thank you, can be in somebody's life. Thank you. Or more to the point, how deeply painful it is when no one ever says thank you. Or think of the words, well done, that was great. Well done, that was great. My training incumbent when I was a curate uh, uh, never knowingly, not in my memory, ever praised me and said, well done, that was good. I don't remember him ever saying it to me. And uh, Fran and I, uh, I, I love him to bits. Uh, and I'm not saying this as a bad thing about him, but I just never got any feedback. Well, Fran and I were going on holiday one day and we were listening to the radio. We are listening to Radio 5. And suddenly, on Radio 5, my training incumbent appears being interviewed. Why? Because his dad was a very famous football manager way back in the 50s. I didn't know of him, but way back in the 50s. He, uh, he, had, he was linked to, uh, to England, but most famously was uh, when Wolverhampton Wanderers were at the top of their game. He was uh, a manager. And he talked about what it was like being a young boy with his dad, the football manager. And he talked about how he used to go and play football, and he was really good at football. But uh, even if he scored six goals in a match... 
His dad never, ever said, well done. He always said, why did you miss that seventh one? Always. And in that moment, I suddenly realized why it was this man had never praised me, because he had grown up, never, ever being praised, never being told, well done, that was really great. So no wonder. So now you know why I'm so screwed up. (laughs) And always I'm glass half empty. Because those words affect us. They change us, don't they? But actually, James, uh, uh, so never doubt, sorry, never doubt the pattern of your tiny tongue. It is just a two-ounce slab of mucous membrane. And in fact, I want you just to show your neighbor your two-ounce slab of mucous membrane. Just, this is the way as a church we get to know each other. Just show your tongue. Because the second thing, the, the second thing that James teaches us from this passage is that what you've just seen is a weapon of mass destruction. You see, this country and others went into Iraq with all that devastation to look for weapons of mass destruction, which they never found. Almost certainly they were there, they had been there at some point, but they were never found. But sitting in this room are about 80 weapons of mass destruction. You don't need a force to go and find them. They are right there, inside our mouths. The destructive power of the tongue, we read in verses 5 and 6. Do you know, shortly after midnight on Sunday the 2nd of September 1966, at Thomas Farriner's Bakery in Pudding Lane, London, the embers left in an oven started a small fire. However, there had been little rain for some time. The houses were made of timber and there was a strong wind. What started as a small fire in a bakery sped across London over the next five days. At the end of it, the houses of 70,000 of London's 80,000 inhabitants had been destroyed. And it started with one tiny spark. Verses 5 and 6. Consider what a great forest is set on fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. This is strong stuff, my friends. This is strong stuff. James is saying that those who misuse the tongue or their thumb are guilty of spiritual arson. A mere spark of an ill-spoken word can produce a firestorm that annihilates everything it touches. James's language is shocking. The tongue is a source of cosmic wickedness. Cosmic wickedness. The tongue conveys the world's wickedness. Just think of someone like Hitler. Hitler got people on board simply by his words, his ability to speak and motivate a people, people you could never imagine would back that kind of regime, were taken in by the words of a man. And we see how that happens all the way around the world. Literally, the tongue of one man can affect the whole course of human history. It speaks here about our words corrupting the whole person, sets the course of life. In other words, about 90%, it says that the flames and pains we experience in our lives come from the words we and others use. And it says that hell is stoking the fire continually. That is, the devil is constantly prowling around. 
and it is in our words that he uh, settles on most. He is the most clever one with words. Do you remember it in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say, oh, you surely won't die. That'll never happen. He is brilliant with words. Utterly brilliant. Which is why Paul says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't let the devil get a foothold. You see, what's happening is as I'm writing that furious email, I know there is a battle going in in my head. There is a battle that says, don't send this, Adrian. And there is another voice saying, but you feel really angry. You really ought to let them know exactly how you feel. Or am I the only one that ever has that going on in their heads? You see, the devil himself is there at those moments as our mouth is about to speak. We need to understand that is how serious what goes on with our tongues is. He says here, it's literally stoked by the fires of hell. Our words are literally weapons of mass destruction, which we need to take tight control of. But then look at verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Or if I can use another picture, your tongue is like a grenade with the pin pulled out, which at any moment, if you lose control, will go off. If you just relax for a moment. That is what he's saying. And you may be going, oh, he's overplaying it. James knows the power of words to affect deeply people's lives. What kind of words? Gossip. We all have a bit of gossip, don't we? I've said to you many, many times, there are so many things I know about people in this village. But I also know most of them aren't true. Because I know the people that things are said about. It is deeply shocking what goes around this village. And it will be around your office or around your school. Stuff that is uh, posted on Facebook. And we usually use that thing, fake news, don't we? As if it's now become a kind of funny thing to have. But fake news about somebody else really hurts. Really hurts. See, we did a little experiment this morning at family service. We got three kids up to squeeze all the toothpaste out the tubes into a bowl. And then we gave them 30 seconds with a knife to put the toothpaste back in the tube. (laughs) They did not get a lot back in. Why? Because once the words are out, you generally can't put them back. Once they're out, they do what they do. Gossip, once it's gone, my goodness, once it's gone from you to somewhere else, someone else, you are out of control of what happens to that message once it's gone. What about that word banter? Banter. I confess I am a man of banter. We banter in staff team. We banter. But there are times when I know I go too far. And it's too easy to call it, oh, it's just a bit of fun. Oh, it's just joking. And we kind of excuse it. Oh, it's just banter. And of course, there are people we can have a laugh with. But you always know those moments, don't you, when you've just gone too far. You've been in those situations, joking, going on, and then it all goes just a little bit quiet and somebody's not quite laughing as much and you think, I've just stepped over that line. Innuendo. 
ship's mates who, after a drunken binge, was written up by the captain on the ship's log, mate, mate drunk today. So what was the mate's revenge? Some months later, he wrote in the ship's log, captain sober today. Easy to make innuendo. Sarcasm can be really crushing of people. I know too, too easily that comes. Little put-downs, especially put-downs to the people we love the most. I'm not going to look in my wife's direction because for a lot of our marriage, I was guilty of that publicly. When we'd go out for a meal, I would put Fran down in a jokey way. I'd say something in public just to get a bit of... But it really hurt her. I try not to do it as much. I won't ask if I'm doing any good. And it's so easy to go, well, I'm only joking. I was only joking, but it hurts. What about complaining or arguing? You know, in any situation you've been in, with someone who just complains all the time, what does it do to the atmosphere in an office? Or in a, it just drags everyone down, doesn't it? Nothing saps the life out of any activity than someone who complains or argues the whole time. It's interesting, can I read Philippians? It says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And it says, actually, that is the key means by which you shine like stars in this dark universe. Isn't that interesting? Of all the things you could have chosen, that means you will shine out in the world around you is by not complaining and not arguing. What about criticism? Constantly finding faults in someone else or assuming the worst of someone else. It's very easy, isn't it, to assume the worst motives of people and then get really angry and fight back. Now, of course, it's not to say we can't criticise. In fact, uh, you'll find the Bible, especially Proverbs, is very positive about the wounds of a friend being really important. Well, they've got to be the wounds of a friend. The wounds are there to build up, not to break down the destructive power of the tongue. Finally, the revealing power of the tongue. Verses 9 to 12. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. It challenges us as a church, doesn't it, to take a long, hard look at ourselves for hypocrisy and inconsistency. Are we those who tonight have praised God with our voices, yet tomorrow may end up saying something that will knock somebody else down or hurt somebody else? And he says here, it simply cannot be like that. See, what he's saying is that what we say betrays what we are really like. That's what he's saying. What we say betrays what we are really like on the inside. It reveals the state of our hearts and our minds. What comes out of us reveals what's inside of us. An orange tree produces oranges. An apple tree produces apples. A saltwater spring produces saltwater. A freshwater spring produces freshwater. That's the way things work. A disciple of Jesus Christ should speak as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is what he's saying. You 
You see, how do we know who truly spiritual and God, or sorry, how do we know how spiritual and godly we really are? It is never by seeing what we're like on a Sunday. It is always listening to what we're like on a Monday. Always. How are you feeling right now? It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard, and it's important that we hear these words in the context of God's grace, God's forgiveness. But I think these are hard words, but we also have a Holy Spirit whose job it is is to help us. So when in Philippians it talks about shining like stars and not complaining or arguing, it's really interesting because what it says is, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is, work hard at this. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You see, our desire to change and our ability to change all comes from God. It is a partnership between him and us that will begin to bring change. But can I tell you, you think it's hard for you. I need to just read for you verses 1 and 2, which I deliberately didn't put up there. Because actually there's a context to these verses and it says this. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that, you, that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. You see, he's saying, I know not everyone's perfect. I know you get it wrong. I understand that. But some of you I'm holding to a higher level of this than others and guess who some of us are Sunday teachers you know, um, stomp teachers youth teachers lead Bible groups some of us have influence over young lives and James says actually those of us who do that need to t- pay special attention because the impact of our words immediately has a much wider impact than maybe some others. So if you're feeling bad, boy, so am I. How dare I stand here and say what I say to you when I know that every time I point the finger, there are three pointing straight back in my direction. So what are we to do? And I want to say three things, or two things, really. The first is this. It is a spiritual issue with a spiritual solution. It is a spiritual issue with a spiritual solution. In uh, Romans, uh, as a result of the gospel, what Paul says is this. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where does change come? It comes through a transformed mind. And I wonder if the key to it is there in verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. The key to this is that we see people as God sees them. Because what he's saying is this, that every single person you speak to, whoever they are, is made in God's likeness. That means they have a value, an inherent value, which is extraordinary. Even the people you find hardest, even the people who wind you up, Even the people who have hurt you are made in God's likeness. You see, I probably go even further than this, and I find this really hard to say out loud. 
I think he's probably saying, don't say to others what you wouldn't be happy to say to God. Don't say to others what you wouldn't also be happy to say to God. That's hard. I think it's what it's saying. It's a spiritual issue with spiritual solutions. It's also a practical issue, and here's a couple of practical solutions. The first is, go on the defensive. Learn to press the pause button that you might begin to take control, especially with digital communication, but of course with all communication. And uh, I've got a slide. Is he still not working, Andy? Still not? So here's my thing. Stop and think. Five things to remember. What says so is T H I N K. Have you come across this? T N I T H I N K. T is it true? Is what I'm say about to say is it true? We would talk when we did marriage preparation. Don't use the phrase "you always" or "you never," because that is not true. Our wives or husbands do not always do that, and they don't never do something. Is it true? H, is it helpful? Does this really need saying right now? And is the way I'm going to say it a helpful thing to say? I, is it inspiring? Will it build up or will it knock down? N, is it necessary? Do I really need to say this? Do they need to hear this bit of criticism now, or could it wait to a better time? K, is it kind? Am I ultimately seeking the best for that other person? T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? Stop and think. I'll tell you, by the time you've remembered what all those things are, <laughs> you'll have lost all the anger and it'll be too late to send the email. That's the defensive and then go on the attack. What do I mean by that? You need your hand for that as well again. One, two, three, four, five. Uh, it is said that for every one negative comment made to someone, it takes five positive comments to overcome the impact that that one negative comment had. For one negative comment, it takes five positive comments to overcome the impact of the negative. What does that mean? It means we should be saying five times more positive things to people that then allows us those moments when we get it wrong. And uh, I used a phrase the other week, which is not mine, comes from someone else, positive gossip. Our aim, I think, of this, it could be easy to read this and think all the things we shouldn't do. But actually, part of training ourselves is to train the tongue. And you only train the tongue by deliberately doing things. So my thing to you would be, rather than worrying too much about what have I said wrong, but spend this week deliberately going out of your way to speak positively to others, to thank them, to use those words, well done, that was really good. Thank you for doing that. And the more you do it, the more it will become a reflex, and the more that two-ounce slub of mucus slobbery thing in your mouth and the little thumb will bring about God's purposes and not those of the devil himself Amen <laughs>